he has risen. Matthew chapter 28, we look at a few verses, starting Matthew chapter 27. This morning, I want to ask you a question. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe? Not what someone else believes, but what do you believe? What do you believe? This morning, you can believe with all your heart that you can be like Michael Jordan. And I want to tell you, no matter how hard you believe, nobody can be like Mike. This morning, you believe... Uh, a lot of people believe a lot of things, right? And we never want to, you know, squelch anyone's dreams. This morning, or actually today, at about 2.30, I'm going to get to eat at my grandma's house, and I'm stoked about that. I, my last church, I couldn't drive to her house on Easter Sunday, so this time I'm, I'm pumped. And no matter how hard you may believe that you can cook like my grandma, you can't. Now, I know that you believe that your grandma is the greatest cook in the world, and probably so for you. But for me, you can watch my grandma, you can, you can study her, you can, you can buy all the same ingredients as her, but you can't cook like her. And so this morning, a lot of people believe a lot of things about Jesus. We believe that He is the Son of God, that he died, he lived a perfect life, he was born to a virgin, he lived a perfect life, and he gave his life for the whole world. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. Matthew chapter 27, we're going to read starting in verse 57. And we're going to go all the way through chapter 28, verse 6. Matthew chapter 27, verse 57. If you're physically able, let's please stand in honor of reading of God's Word. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. What was his name? Joseph. Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it on his own new tomb which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, While he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the, secure, the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. 
as he said, come see the place where he lay. Let's pray. God, in these moments, would you speak like only you can? God, would you move in ways that only you can? God, for your glory, we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There are many, 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 many proofs that Jesus rose from the grave. I'd like to give you three this morning. Three proofs that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Number one, the empty tomb. Got it? The empty tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, Mark chapter 15, says that this guy was a prominent member of the council. Joseph really didn't need to give up his tomb. He really just needed to rent it out to Jesus. If the disciples... Here, so here's the point. You have this empty tomb. It's a great proof. If the disciples were going to make up the resurrection, if they, it would have been very destructive for them to invent out of thin air a man of such prominence, name him specifically in the Bible, and designate the tomb site. That would not be a wise thing if you were going to make up a story. Why? Because it could have easily been discredited by eyewitnesses. Jewish and Roman sources tell us, they both tell us that there was an empty tomb. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 12, you continue to read in verse 12, you'll see the, that the religious people began to get really nervous because they remembered that Jesus said he would come back to life. In fact, Verse 12 says the chief priest invented the story that the disciples stole the body. I have a question for you, church. Why would there be a need to fabricate a story if the tomb had not been empty? Crickets? There would be no need to fabricate a story if the tomb was not empty. That was in verse 12, after the guards came and told the leaders, the Jewish leaders, that Jesus had indeed rose from the grave. If the tomb had not been empty, the preaching of the disciples would have lasted for one day. All the Jewish authorities needed to do to put an end to this Christianity was to produce the body of Jesus. But the corpse was never found. There's not one historical record from 1st or 2nd century that is written attacking the factuality of the resurrection. Nor is there any article, no historical document, written claiming the discovery of the corpse. An attorney named Tom Anderson, one of the best trial lawyers in America, he lives in California, Here's what he says about the resurrection. Let's assume that the written accounts of his appearances to hundreds of people are false. Now, by the way, that would be a large stretch to discredit hundreds of testimonies about people seeing Jesus. But let's just assume, which is a huge stretch, let's just assume that those written accounts of his appearances to hundreds of people are false. With an event so well publicized, don't you think that it is reasonable that one historical source, one eyewitness, one antagonist, 
would record for all time that they had seen Christ's body. The silence of history is deafening when it comes to the testimony against the resurrection. So they couldn't find him. They tried. They searched everywhere. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they used all of the resources available. They tried to blackmail people. They tried to pay people off. They tried to do whatever it took to find the body of Jesus. They couldn't do it. Why? Because Jesus was alive. That's why. They've been searching for his body for thousands of years. Today, there's people still searching, and they can't find it. Number two, another proof about the resurrection. The changed apostles. The the radical transformation of the apostles. It's recorded in the Gospels that while Jesus was on trial, that these disciples, they deserted the Lord in fear. Most of us today, we would have been tempted to do the same. Yet, history tells us, church history tells us, that 10 10 out of 11 of these apostles died as martyrs. Now, the disciples went from being timid, afraid, running away with their tail tucked between their legs. And then only a few days later, these, these early followers, these men and women, were transformed and had supreme faith in the resurrection. How do you explain that? How do you explain these people, these men, the apostles, were willing to die for something that they would have known to be a lie? They would have known for it to be a lie, but they were willing to, to pay it all for the Lord because they would believe with all their heart that Jesus was alive. Think about Peter. You see a new attitude after the resurrection from Peter. A few days later, before, he was timid, he was running, he was denying the Lord three times. A few days later, it was Peter that was preaching when thousands of people came to know Christ. Let's think about the, the fate of these apostles. James was killed by the sword directly by King Herod. The Bible records that. Peter was crucified upside down. John was boiled in oil, which miraculously he survived. Paul was tortured and beheaded by Emperor Nero. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. And on and on and on, we could talk about what church history tells us about the disciples and their, their fate and how they, most of them gave their lives for the gospel. Why would they do that? Because they saw the Lord. They believed in the gospel. There was a young lady in our first service this morning. And after the service, we were out front. A few people were talking with her. And she said she wanted to receive Christ. And I honestly tried to talk her out of it. I said, you need to understand that if you receive Christ as your Savior, then you have to give up everything. It's all or nothing. He's either Lord of it all, or he's not Lord at all. She said, okay. I said, you need to understand that you have to take up your cross daily and follow the Lord. And she said, okay. I tried to talk her out of it. 
And before I knew it, we're all sitting there on the front steps of our church right here on Main Street between these oak trees praying this young lady receiving Christ as her Savior. Jesus saves. Jesus saves and he's alive. And this morning he's here. He's with us. He's in the house. And he wants to move in your life and in my life. Another random note I'd like to throw out there. Think about these ladies, the Marys. If you were going to make up and fabricate a story, in that time, the witness, the testimony of a lady in court, it only meant so much, which is a, a tragedy. And so if you were going to make up a, a fabricate a story, you wouldn't use two ladies to be your leading witnesses and to be the first ones that actually saw Jesus. But that's what God did. He, he flipped the script and he chose to reveal to these ladies and the guards that Jesus was alive. So if you're going to make up a story, you wouldn't have done it that way. The third proof is the rapid growth of Christianity in Jerusalem. The rapid growth of, of Christianity in Jerusalem. If you're going to make up a cult, if you're going to start a new religion... You wouldn't do it in the very city where your leader was crucified. It was the most hostile city to preach the gospel. It, was, it didn't make any sense to... My kids cry like that all the time, by the way. So it doesn't bother me at all. But why would they start in Jerusalem? Because it was in Jerusalem where all, where all of the evidence was to try to discredit the resurrection. That's where all of the eyewitnesses were. That's where, all of, that's where the grave was. If the body of Jesus would have been stolen, then why would those, the grave clothes have been folded so nice and neat? That wouldn't have happened. Have you ever stole something? Did you take your time about it? No, you got the goods and you got out of there. That's what, have, that's what would have happened. So the bottom line is that the rapid growth of Christianity in Jerusalem, the changed life of the apostles, and the empty tomb are just a few, just a few reasons that we can have confidence in the resurrection. Every major religious founder today. We can go and we can fly there to the grave of Muhammad. We can fly to the grave of Gandhi. We can, we can go drive to many other places and find the grave of many religious leaders. But you can't do that about Jesus. You can't go see the grave to where he was buried. Now, if you go to Jerusalem... There's two places they're going to take you to. Three if you pay a lot of money. But if you just pay, well, regardless, it's still expensive. But they're going to take you to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And that's where oral tradition believed that the tomb of Jesus was. And it could have been there. In fact, it's probably the most likely choice. But we have no hard evidence that that actually was it. And so the, a church was built on top of the the location. Another place is called the Garden Tomb. You'll get to go there if you go to Israel. You'll get to see it. 
It's a tomb that actually predates the time of Christ. It's really old. You, you can walk inside of it. You can touch the limestone. And all the, the Methodists and the Presbyterian and the Baptists are going to tell you that was it. But friend, I wouldn't stand on that all the way because we don't really know. But it's good for tourism. And it's also healthy to encourage your faith. I mean, there's a tomb. You can walk in it. And just the reality of the gospel, it will encourage you. But how cool is it that our Savior, we don't know specifically because it's not really important because our Savior is alive. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that Jesus is alive? The foundation of Christianity is on the cross and the resurrection. If Christ had not been raised, then our faith is futile. 1 Corinthians 15 says that we would still be in our sin if Christ was not raised to life. But in fact, Christ has been raised, and that's why we can be excited on this day. That's why we can have hope. When the world lets you down, when people break your heart, you can have hope in Christ. I want to share a quick story. Our church members are probably sick of me talking about when I almost died in the Philippines. Well, there's the rest of the story that I've never shared before. I got out of the hospital, and I was in the Philippines, 2007. And this man had told us that his, his sister was demon-possessed, and he wanted us to come pray for her. Now, I had been in the hospital for nine days, so, hey, man, sign me up. I'm ready. Let's go. And so me and my teammate, Phil, we, all, all we had was a piece of paper that he had scribbled down, the location of this village, and his sister's name. And he told us, just tell people my name and they'll know who I am and they can take you to my sister. So I thought, okay, fair enough. So we, we went to the boat terminal to check with our boat ticket to get back to the island that we were supposed to be on. And they said, we're out of tickets. They said, well, actually, we can sell you one ticket. And we said, no, we need two. We can't split up. So we thought this is a clear sign. We need to go pray for this lady. So we loaded up in a little motorcycle taxi, rode out into the country, went down a long, a long, long dirt trail, turned left, turned right, turned left, went down another trail, traveled for hours. We get to this village. The guy, the taxi driver, drops us off and just drives away. I thought, okay, this is not good. It's about five o'clock. It's going to get dark soon. We have a pack of nabs. That's the Mississippi way of saying uh, peanut butter crackers. We have a pack of nabs, and we have two bottles of water. And so we begin to knock on the doors, which you really just had to say, I-O. You walk up in people's yard, I-O. It means, hello, can we come in? We have a question. And so we went around asking people, hey, do you know this man? And no one in the village knew who he was. No one had ever heard of him. He told us, oh, many people know me. Nobody had heard of him in that village. And so finally it begins to get dark, and this lady says, come, you stay at my house. And I looked at Phil, he looked at me, and said, okay, where else are we going to stay at? So we stayed with this random lady in her house and her three children. She cooked for us that night, and uh, we began to do, tell Bible stories to the children and 
teach them songs and make up magic tricks. It was awesome. And uh, finally, it came about 10 o'clock, and the lady said, okay, we're going to leave the house. Have a good night. So they left us out of respect to give us the house to ourselves. And there's me and Phil. I thought, we are certainly going to die. Now, we had heard about it, orientation about terrorists from the Middle East coming to the Philippines to hide out. But it was okay because the island that we were supposed to be on, there, were, there was no one, no bad guys there. So the next morning we wake up and we ask the lady if she had any pineapple because we knew that was safe to eat and it would not kill us. And so she said, oh yes, there's some pineapple 500 meters away from my house. So the deal was, Phil, you stay here. I'm going to go with this lady to retrieve the pineapple. Now, the plan was we had told those children to tell everyone in the village to meet us at 1 o'clock on the beach. We're going to share the gospel. So all these children have run and told their neighbors to meet the Americans at 1 o'clock on the beach. We're ready. We're about to preach like in the book of Acts. Well, that was our plan. God had a different one. So I began to walk with this lady to find the pineapple. We walked like a mile. I said, how far is the pineapple? Only 500 meters. Really? Okay. We continue to walk another mile. How far is the pineapple? Only 500 meters. And by this point, I realized her meter reader was broken. <laughs> and so we continue to walk, and we, we got over this large hill. And I see this complex. There was about... I said in the first service it was 200 yards. I felt convicted. It was really about 100 yards long. 12 feet high, razor wire all the way around it. This facility, elaborate facility. And I thought, now we are back here in the middle of nowhere. Now how did they get that here? And so I asked the lady, what is this? And, and she said, mm, I don't know. Really, you do, you do not know what this is. And she said, mm, I don't know. So we're walking straight for it. My heart just begins to beat real fast. I thought the hospital didn't kill me, but here I'm about to go to heaven. And I finally, I continue to bug this lady, and she starts saying this word. And I said, ma'am, are you saying Iraqis? Iraq, like from Iraq? Oh, yes, that's what I'm saying, Iraqis, yes. My heart just begins to beat. Walk right up to the edge. There's a trail that goes down the side of it. We turn on the trail. Have you ever been like somewhere uh, like Bourbon Street and just feel evil? Yeah. Some of you feel convicted right now. So, but there, I just felt evil. You could feel it. And I thought, this is not good. I don't think I'm supposed to be here. And so she goes, and, and there's some pineapples there on the ground. Did you know that pineapples grow on the ground? Some of y'all didn't know that. I didn't either. All of you experts like, yes, we knew that. So there's pineapples on the ground. She says, how about this one or this one or this one? I said, that one's great. Let's go. So we get the pineapple. We walk right past the trail. We get back to camp. Phil is laid back in a hammock. He's just hanging out. I said, Phil, we have to go, brother. We have to go now. Why? I, we have to go. I'll tell you on the way. So as we're packing our stuff, the lady runs up to us. Oh, there's an American that was uh, shot and killed in the city where the boat terminal is. And I thought, oh, great. That's great news. Thanks. So we continue to pack, her, pack up our bags. And uh, we find another. We had to walk forever to find a motorcycle taxi. 
We, we found the ride. And at this point, I'm just terrified. I'm thinking, There's, these guys are probably coming after us. They're going to take us out. And we're on this little hoopty taxi thing. And I'm just covering up all the white skin that I have. And I have a lot. So I'm, I'm just trying to cover up the whiteness. And we get to the boat terminal. And they had two tickets. I said, praise God. We get in the boat terminal. We plug up our little go phone. We call the missionary. Which you're not going to believe what we just saw. And the first thing he said was, dude, that's awesome. And I said, dude, you're nuts. <laughs> and so we hung up the phone and we were just sitting there. Just two young guys that loved Jesus but didn't have a clue what we were doing. And there was this music. Uh, they had speakers inside of the boat terminal. And it, had, it mainly had been playing Filipino secular music in a different language. I didn't, couldn't understand it. Every once in a while, Celine Dion would come on, which I enjoyed. And then sometimes, if you were lucky, you got a Michael Jackson song. But for the most part, it was secular music in a different language. And we're sitting there, and we begin to talk to each other. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. Who Am I by Casting Crowns began to come on the radio. And it's like it got louder. And it begins to echo across this boat terminal. Who am I? Like, this is the original version by Casting Crowns. I'm like, how in the world did that even happen? And it says, the chorus says, Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow, a vapor in the wind. And me and Phil, we're just sitting there in those chairs, just snots flowing. You know, tears are going everywhere. Here's the point. I believe that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. There's a lot of people in this room right now, and there are churches all over this world that are worshiping the Lord today because we believe that Jesus is alive and that he saves He's all that matters in this life. So this morning, you've come to worship. You've come to pay your respects for this day. And we're glad everyone is here. What happens today should affect tomorrow. And so if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you can do that. Christianity is not about being good enough to attain salvation. That's not it. Regardless of what you've been told or read on TV, or, or read on TV, that doesn't work, or heard on TV, or, or seen, or regardless of what people have told you, that's not true. You cannot be good enough to be saved. That's what all of the other religions will tell you. Do these things and you can attain salvation or you can find peace. That's not it. Christianity is the only one where the, the Savior came to us and he came to rescue us. He came to live a perfect life, and he gave his life on the cross for you because he knows what you did last night. He knows what we did last week. He knows our heart when no one else sees us. The Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Life is all about Him, and it should be. We all have to decide for our own selves what we believe about this Jesus and the resurrection. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, you know, I'm just mad. And I'm mad at God because he took this person from my life or, or because this certain thing happened to you. I want to encourage you this morning when we have the invitation, just tell that to God. Just verbalize that in your heart. Say, Lord, I'm mad. Or say, Lord, my heart is broken. Just be honest with him. And I think what you'll find is you'll find someone that cares and someone that knows. God understands the situation and he understands your heart and what you're going through more than anyone else does. That should bring you great comfort. You may say this morning, well, pastor dressed up like a leprechaun. Hey, I'm Scottish, okay? So I'm, I'm representing my ancestors. It was a $30 jacket, so I had to take advantage of it. So you're saying, Pastor, I, I don't know you. I don't know your church. We're just here. My grandma dragged me to church this morning, and I don't even want to be here. Maybe that's you. Hey, I'm thankful my grandma drug me to church. But maybe that's you this morning. Just be honest with the Lord. Let him work on your heart. If you have questions about this resurrection, ask God, seek, and you will find. Seek the truth. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to anyone else. Do your own research. Seek out the claims of Christ and his word. Seek it out for yourself. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, you know, uh, there's a lot of people in this church and I really don't want to walk down front. But friend, all that's going to matter in eternity is what the Lord thinks about you. And you may think, you don't know how bad I've messed up. Personally, you don't know how bad I've messed up. Or how bad some of our church members have messed up. And you may think, well, there's no way God could forgive me. There's no way. And, and we just like to say, look, if he can forgive us and all of our junk, he can forgive you. And the blood of Jesus is powerful enough and holy enough to wash away every single sin. Jesus saves. This morning he seeks to move in your life. How will you respond? How will you respond? If you'd like somebody to pray with you, we'd love to do that. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to give you a hug if you need a hug. It's all about Jesus this morning. I want to ask everyone, if you, if you don't mind, to, I know this is awkward, but please, for, to limit distractions, let's close our eyes, bow our heads, You may say this morning, I want to receive Christ. I'm ready. God's been working in my life the past few weeks, and I'm ready. I, I think this is the day for me. I think I need to, right now, I need to run to the cross. I need to run to Christ, and I need to ask him to forgive me. Hey, if that's you, we, we don't do this every Sunday, but we're going to do it this morning. I'm going to say a simple prayer. A prayer can't save you, but I don't know how it's you come to know Christ unless you pray. 
Repent and believe. That's how you're saved. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you will be saved. So I'm going to say a small prayer. Nothing special in the prayer, but it's all about what God does inside of you. And for you, the first time in your life, if you'd like to be born again, if you'd like to be forgiven of all your sins, you can repeat this where you're sitting. You've got to mean it in your heart, though. You can't just say it because the preacher said it. Have a private moment between you and God. Just say right now, Dear Heavenly Father, God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know I've sinned against you. And right now, God, I want to say that I'm sorry. God, I want to ask you to forgive me. God, I believe that you died for my sins on the cross. And God, I believe that you rose from the grave. And now, right now, God, I want to turn away from my sins. God, I repent of my sins and my lifestyle of sin. God, I invite you right now to come into my life. I want to trust you. I want to follow you. God, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you prayed that or something like it, then the Bible says you've been set free. Not based on anything that you have done, but what Christ did on the cross. This morning, if you'd like to make that public, we're here. We'd encourage you to make it public, to tell the world what God's doing in your life. And if today you need to go home and reflect and think and seek, do that, okay? Please do that. Right now, we're just going to have a moment of invitation. Maybe this morning you're a believer, and you've known the Lord for a long time. Why don't you just give the, the Lord his glory right now as we sing this song. Give him the praise that he deserves for being our Redeemer, the Redeemer that is close. God, right now, we, we believe, we confess that you are Lord. And God, we, we want to give you these moments. God, we want to sing to you because... Lord, you're so worthy. God, thank you that we're not singing to a dead Christ, but a living Christ. God, thank you that you understand us when no one else does. God, thank you that you walk 99 steps, and God, all we have to do is take one step to you. God, thank you. Thank you for overcoming the grave on our behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.